Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Hello, friends. Welcome to Shift Drink on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm Matthew Ramsey, Wiley Coyote, cheeseburger life coach, and dissemination officer of Simple Pleasures. Uh, the studio is a lot it's, more crowded this it's week. It's full again. The, the team is, the dream team's back together. The band. Yeah. Uh, I have had to relinquish my starfishing ways. Ugh. <laughs> um, in case you've forgotten, I am Eddie Kim, proud DCist, mandolin mangled Mandalorian, and wow. espresso martini revivalist. Uh, every week we share a shift drink and swap war stories from behind the line with chefs, bartenders, bakers, brewers, and pretty much anyone who touches this all-encompassing industry. This week we are finally joined... I'm going to needle you on this, uh, by Genevieve Villamora, um, co-owner of Bad Saint, uh, one of DC's preeminent Filipino restaurants, uh, Bon Appetit, Hot Ten List, Honoré, and everything. Sabre Sunshine. Yes. Hi. Welcome. Hi. I'm so excited (laughs) to be here at long last. Uh, Now, Eddie, your needling is unfair because... Genevieve lives an incredibly busy life. She's mm-hmm. already feeling guilty about it. You do a little bit of everything. You're on podcasts, you write, you occasionally run a restaurant. The writing and podcasting is more uh, extracurricular. It's really mostly the running the restaurant bit. Um, but yes, I, it's hard to be spontaneous Often. You're also a mom, mom to yes. not only Javi, but pretty much we, we all think a whole ragtag crew of yeah, <laughs> <laughs> crazy industry folks who are probably who come. I know I've come to you and asked for advice quite a bit, and I'm sure that happens quite often. And I know Elizabeth other, has, and yeah, yeah. How do you how do you feel, kind of having that role as matriarch? Oh, is that my role? Uh, well, I mean. Well, we'll bestow it upon you, whether you like it or not. I think of it more as like, um, well, I'm generally older than everyone else I come into contact with on any given day. So I like to use my, um, my age for good, since I have to have these so many more years than everyone else. Um, and I also feel like uh, I want other people to benefit from my struggles and mistakes you know and I in a lot of different situations in life and definitely coming up in the restaurant industry I didn't feel like I had someone that I could go to and um and I didn't even necessarily know what I needed to ask for help with sure and um so I like to sort of have an open door policy you know just both definitely within the restaurant but sort of an extended open door policy to just other people in the industry. Extended family. Yeah. 
But even before you were in the restaurant industry, you were uh, a graduate of Georgetown and worked yes. at the Rape Crisis Hotline there. Yes, that so, was my, well, that was, uh, I worked at the D.C. Rape Crisis Center, mm-hmm. which was my first job after college, and um, it's one of the oldest rape crisis centers in the country, actually. Wow. Um, so you're a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed graduate out of college, and, you're, and your first job is this... Very intense. And very intense, emotionally yeah. draining, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, and then you hop to restaurants because it's so easy and <laughs> not emotionally draining at all. Actually, crisis counseling is really good training for working in the restaurant oh, industry. So there's a lot of crossover in terms of the skills there. I imagine. As uh, I later realized. Yeah. Well, before we dig too mm-hmm. far into things, uh, let's just do a quick week in recap. What's um, going on? Um... I noticed that there is actually a spreadsheet that's being passed around amongst Philly, and now it's spread to other cities of baristas um, noting what their pay is. And it's about this whole new movement about uh, transparency in, uh, in pay, not just amongst baristas. It actually, they were inspired to do it from museum workers in Philly. Uh, and so I did a little quick search, and now there's a spreadsheet for DC co- uh, baristas. So cool. if you run a, run across it, um, we'll post it up on our um, Facebook. But uh, yeah, it'd be nice to do a little survey of of uh, baristas in the nation's capital and see. Uh, yeah, I don't necessarily stand. see a downside to that. I think transparency in this industry, like the more we get, the more understanding people have, especially with. Um, I was talking to some people about like the you're starting to see like the five percent uh, thing added onto checks for um, essentially for for so people can get healthcare mm-hmm. for their for their staff um, and it's more, working. I mean, I just came from California and I noticed it on all, a lot of almost all of my checks that there was I, for, I forget what it's percentage. called. It's but it's like well, a, like a, a well-being mm-hmm. uh, tax essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think the more transparency that restaurants are able to put out there and employees are willing to put out there, like I think it's kind of a win for everybody. I don't know. Um, what else? Uh, Laura Hayes just came out with an article. Uh, there's a new Kava Lounge. This is uh, essentially organic uh, Xanax, <laughs> and you can go to this place and just max out over these uh, these Kava brews. Um, oh, that's what you mean. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Is it related to the fast casual kava? No, that's no, what no. I this, this, is, this is kava with a K. Uh, and oh, it, and it's, yeah. it's it's like fast. Ca- it's like thing. It's fast casual restaurants <laughs> opening up bars now. Yeah, and pizza. So why not kava? I don't know if it's related to the water bar at all. Uh, it has a similar vibe, um, but you can go there and kind of just max out. Apparently, um, it's right here in our very own Adams Morgan. So maybe we'll do that post uh, post show today. <laughs> um, speaking of more number nerdery, uh, Max uh, Pazuniak up in New York. He's the co-owner of um, Jupiter Disco in Brooklyn. He's been around the industry for quite a bit, but he also has been crunching numbers on whether it is actually profitable to be making cocktails when you could be making, you know, the same time you make one craft cocktail, you can make four vodka sodas. Make oh, more money. So he is a huge numbers geek, and really did a a, a, a number crunch um, based off of his own numbers at his bar. And um, the answer was pretty much yes and no. Uh, yeah, Th- doesn't that just make the cocktail taste better though? Anyways, like when I find out I'm having like the last glass of wine in a bottle in the restaurant, like I'm always like, mm, this makes it taste better. 
you know, so knowing that it, it should be worth more, I don't know, adds value to the yeah, experience. But, but for a bar owner, yeah, I mean, you're a restaurant <laughs> yeah. owner, like, is the effort worth it? Is, is that's at the end of the day? Oh, that's a big question. I think it depends what your aims are. Yeah. You know, um, there's always an easier way to do something and there's always a harder way to do something. Um, but I think that which way you choose um, needs to align with your motivation in the first place. You know, I think when we started the restaurant, we, we weren't looking for, like, the lowest common denominator approach to Filipino food. You know, we had a very particular point of view and approach that we wanted to take to a cuisine that at the time was, like, really pretty unknown to many people, even though Filipinos have been in the United States for a long time. So for us, that was a lot of what, what sort of guided what choices we made along the way. Were there any hard decisions that came? Or any per, like singular decisions where we, you decided not to put on the menu? Um, I don't think they were hard, actually, because I think that we just had a really clear vision of what we wanted the restaurant to be. And um, I always... I wasn't always so decisive, but I, I feel like when, when it came time to putting the restaurant together, I realized that I was very opinionated and decisive about what, that we were, um, about what we wanted it to be. And so there were some like really easy decisions, like we're not going to have pelota on the menu <laughs> because I feel like that's such very often for people who haven't had Filipino food, that might be like the one or to, you know, they might have heard one or two things, dishes and Filipino food, and maybe balut is one of them. And uh, for, to me, for sorry, our listeners who yes. might not know, yeah, yeah. So balut is a fertilized duck egg, which is a delicacy in the Philippines. Um, but I think the way that it's been used in a lot of popular representations of Filipino food is as this sort of like gross me out example yeah. of what Filipino food is. It's the Andrew and, Zimmermanification of a lot of certain dishes. Yeah, and I just kind of wanted to push back against that and also broaden people's perceptions of what Filipino food is. So that was mm-hmm. an early decision that was pretty easy to make. Um, how about lumpia? We have had lumpia on the menu. Yes. Well, I remember you, you're, when you guys did a pop-up at Del Chesa, yes. you guys, that was like one of the... Actually, okay, I need to backtrack a little bit. Balut was sort of the secret menu item on that <gasps> pop-up no, menu. No way. It wasn't listed on the thing, on, the, on our little um, menu card of options that we had for that day. But I think we, got, we bought like two dozen balut, and we said if anyone asks about it, they're going to get one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And we went through the whole two dozen. That's did? Yeah. Incredibly baller. I did not know about that. Oh, and I yeah. was there at that pop-up. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, really there, was like, a, there was a line around. This is at the factory, right? It was, yeah, the by Union, Union Market before um, in the early days. That's amazing. Yeah, so anyone who asked about Balut got one. And then it was like this whole like uh, street hawker thing that would happen where if someone asked about Balut, then people in the kitchen that were working the pop-up would start yelling, <laughs> and then they'd like pass the carton of balut up to the front and then someone would get one. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I, 
I, I kind of just want to go to Bad Saint now and just, and just ask and for just, it. Yeah, ask about Blue and see what happens. <laughs> um, what are we drinking now, actually? Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is let's, shift let's drink. Talk about our shift drink. Uh, I'm not surprised by your request. Yeah, this um, falls very much in line with with the the wine program at Bad Saint and and everything um, that you're into. But it's you want it skin contact. Mm-hmm. Anything skin contact. Um, so what are we drinking? So this is a wine that we actually have at Tail Up Goat right now. Um, that's really fun. Um, this is out of Napa. It's a Pinot Noir uh, blend rosé. Uh, Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier. Um, it's light. It's kind of got this like rose petal strawberry thing going on that's fun. But I mean, it's like not super complicated, but it just it goes down super easily. Mm-hmm. It sounds complicated. Can I... Can I Read yeah. this wine making description. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or maybe not. It's pretty long. Uh, our rosé is 100% direct to press, as opposed to from Saunier. We hand harvest the grapes at night, press them lightly first thing in the morning. The pressed juice. I'm gonna do this yeah, ASMR stuff. Yeah, the oh, pressed God. juice was transferred <laughs> into a stainless steel tank where it was fermented naturally at 48 degrees. It's a pretty involved. I mean, and it's, it sounds I, like I it's do pain, like the night harvesting. I think, that, I think that's super cool. And and when I was in Napa, there was quite a bit of night harvesting going on. Um, I I don't actually know what I know. It, I don't really know why that happens. Do you? I don't know. The, the grapes are colder. I don't. I really don't know. But it seemed like a big party. You know, they have bright lights, maybe a little disco ball. Then you hear a lot of commotion of people harvesting. Do you know anything about the night harvesting? The nectar? What I'm about to say is not going to be helpful, which is that I once knew. (laughs) I know that I once knew why. And I seem to have forgotten because that's what happens to my brain. I'm sorry, Bill Jensen. (laughs) Um, But you you guys do feature a lot of fun skin contact wines. We do. So our... um, our beverage and service director right now is Amanda Carpenter, and she has been with the restaurant since before day one. Happy birthday, Amanda. And, happy birthday, um, Amanda. Happy birthday, Amanda. Labor season. And um, so when Amanda took the helm of our beverage program, she really took it very decisively in the direction of natural wine. So um, right now we have like a really interesting... Uh, eclectic selection of wines from all over the world, from like, uh, you know, Catalonia to Canada to California. And there's just, I feel like it's, um, for a lot of people, they will look at our wine list and there's like nothing that familiar. Um, And I feel like it's such a great opportunity for us to be able to chat with folks about what is on our wine list and, you know, offer tastes of things. And in a way, it's so similar to the food because so many people come in who have never had Filipino food before. Um, and I think because they've already signed up for a new food experience they they bring with them this like openness in general where they're like, no, I don't know what orange wine is, but I'm totally going to try it because you know, I'm already trying something else new, you know, the California shard at the door. <laughs> I mean, is that already the clientele that's kind of self-selecting, by going to a Filipino restaurant where you do have to wait in line, um, that they're already willing to take chances, as opposed to people who might push back and expect you to have that California Shard, that Oregon Pinot? Yeah, I mean, I think that to a degree, many of our guests have self-selected, but that said, we still see, like, all kinds of guests. Like, I would say, like, a very similar cross-section that most other restaurants would see. Um, So, you know, we do still... we have folks who come in who are looking for something that's more familiar that they that they're um, that they've tried before that they're comfortable with, 
And um, we try to use that as much as possible as an opportunity to maybe compare it with something similar that we might have on the list or introduce them to something totally new altogether. And I find that it often ends up being just like a great opportunity for conversation and, um, you know, hopefully exposing something, people to something that is fun and like, you know, outside their usual well, I feel Comfort like zone. forever too. It's it's been like with with Southeast Asian cuisine or like Thai food. It's always been like Riesling is is the right. is the one answer to all mm-hmm. these things because it has you know sometimes residual sugar that plays well with mm-hmm. the spice. But um, Filipino food is it's, there's so many different influences involved mm-hmm. and, and um, but yeah, skin contact just seems like a great fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forgot to mention the name of this one. This is uh, it's Po oh. is the uh, producer. Yeah. Um, and Eddie, you, you were actually at the tasting room out there. I was at the tasting room. They don't have a vineyard because they source their grapes from all across Sonoma, Napa, wherever, um, in California. And so that's, they handpick their grapes, uh, which is really great. Uh, this one actually comes from Sonoma Mountain, uh, Vanderkamp Vineyard. But, um, yeah, I got to go to the, their tasting room. Yeah, wine country. It's very chill. <laughs> Eddie has a whole came, new vibe now. That came. That was that became the theme of my trip. It was yeah, chill, just chill out. It's wine country. And no one and, and yeah, it really is a very laid back approach to wine and drinking it. Though when I did mention natural wine, there was a lot of pushback. People just did not. I mean, it, it, natural wine for for all intents and purposes is cutting into their profits. Yeah, California wines. So. What's well, interesting, we, Eddie and I were talking about this before the show that this is going to be written on, you know, that California wines like obituary is like thinks natural wines a joke or I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, I mean, we, we can we can hit up John Bonet again and yeah. see what he thinks about <laughs> California wines and what's happening. Um, awesome. Well, uh, just moments before the show, uh, we asked you to prepare a little thing we call Tooth Truths One Lie. Two truths, one lie. And like a boss, you did. <laughs> um, so uh, lie to us. What you got? Okay. So here are my statements. In high school, I competed in the Illinois State Latin Competition. Latin. Another statement is that I do not like Pringles. And my last is that I used to be in a postmodern dance company. (laughs) If you had said modern, I would have believed you, but (laughs) everyone loves Pringles. Come on. Yeah, I'm trying to think of an argument against Pringles. Is it because you can't stop once you pop? In Latin, I I don't know what angsty teenage Genevieve would have been like. Genevieve's a huge nerd. Of course she took Latin. Yeah, or Greek. It might be. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was, maybe it's a group. Maybe, maybe she like she loves she's throwing her extinct a slight languages. <laughs> Have I mentioned before that about what I've read about Pringles that they're delicious when you chill them in a freezer first? No. Why is that? Is this a hack? Makes- because Pringles are not really potato chips; they're extruded potato products, and so there's they're less airy. And so it's like, they it's like, more, like compressed wood, but potatoes. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> like particle board for particle. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so they they have less air and they're they're moister, moist. Oh no! Um, ASM, you got to ASMR that though. Yeah. Moister. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and then you throw them in the in the fr- fridge, and apparently they're delicious cold. Anyways, um, uh, what was the, what was the last one? I uh, was in a Pomo post- dance. Dance company. Uh, yeah. Dance company. Uh, call it Pomo. She, that was <laughs> definitely real. I think it's the. I think the. Uh, I think the Pringles is real too. Because like, who would just say that? It seems like a like I don't like popcorn. That's a thing. But it's like most people do like popcorn. Right. So I think she. That's a deliberate truth. So that means the lie is the Latin. Okay. Fine. Fine. Yeah. Wrong. Ah, goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> I took both Latin. And Greek in high school. Oh, wow. And I definitely Eddie, went to the <laughs> Illinois State Latin competition. We were in a van, and it was like all of the nerdiest kids in my year, except for one guy who was on the basketball team who was a secret nerd. I've seen this movie. And really good at Latin. <laughs> and yeah, we drove down there. It was in like southern Illinois, and... Um, it was like an overnight trip, and we were all really excited. We were like reviewing our, um, oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking out on the. We were reviewing all of our like classical <laughs> Latin suffixes, classical yeah. Latin philo- philosophers, and our reviewing certain passages. It was super nerdy. This um, is, I mean, this is a coming of age movie that you know Jonah Hill has thought about making. <laughs> And I was in a postmodern dance company here in D.C. way back in the early aughts, um, which was pretty fun. And it what 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 defines postmodern dance? I honestly feel like it's more of a chronological thing than any super specific aesthetic criteria. I feel like to me, postmodern is like post-World War II, um, you know. Where, uh, where does jazz hands fall to? This is <laughs> what I'm trying to get to. There's no room for jazz hands. I'm, sad to, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to tell you. Should we, we should just call it post-jazz hands dance. <laughs> um, and then the Pringles thing is definitely a lie. Okay. Because I love Pringles. Oh, yeah. Who would... Who would Why, I, 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 just, I just seem so, like, so deliberate that I just... Who would go against Pringles? Genevieve like snacks. I love, I love snack foods. Oh, you do? Okay. And I especially love Pringles. And when I was in my first trimester pregnant with my son and I couldn't eat anything because everything made me want to retch, I could eat cylinders of Pringles with no <laughs> problem. And we also love to go fishing and Pringles is our favorite snack when we're on the fishing pier. Ooh. Where do you, where do you go fishing? Um, one of our favorite places right now is... John Downs Memorial State Park, which is in Maryland, in Anne Arundel County, and it's right on the bay. And you can see the Bay Bridge, like, way in the distance. Right on. And, um, yeah, we've caught some, like, awesome stuff there. We almost caught this monster catfish last weekend, but it got away. Catfish, yeah, they're, they're finicky, those guys. Uh, I am, admittedly, I do not like fishing because I catch more trees very often than, <laughs> than actual fish. Um, but I understand the appeal where it's not, not always about the actual fish itself. It's no, a lot of times it's about the snacks. Yeah. <laughs> it's about the sunshine oh, and the breeze, the breeze coming off the bay. Yeah. It's Is this, are intoxicating. These, are these days that you often, I mean, do you guys do this as like a kind of a, a refresh getaway situation? I don't, often, I don't get to go as often as my husband and son do, but it is quite the family um, pastime. Because my husband, Ben, grew up fishing um, 
in Baltimore with his dad. Right on. And now Javier is growing up fishing with his dad and grandpa, which I got to love that. Yeah, yeah, super cool. It's like a really sweet family tradition. Of course, he scares all the fish away because his voice is so loud on the pier. It's like it carries for miles. (laughs) Eddie Kim, have you ever uh, been fishing? I have been fishing. I've done quite a bit of crabbing growing up in this area. Um, Yeah, I feel like... Of course you'd be bad at fishing. I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I, so like my dad and I, and this sounds dumb, but we went, we went fly fishing out in like Montana or whatever and like living my best Brad Pitt life. And good, good I, movie reference. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. About maybe <laughs> one day in, I realized like I just, this just is not for me. And I just like my dad would go fishing and I would go like hiking in the mountains all day and like come back and eat whatever they had caught. Is it just too still? I'm okay with like not doing anything. It's just, it's just frustrating to me. Everything about it, like the little knots. I have fat fingers. I can't. I just. It's not my thing, man. <laughs> oh, I'll take you fishing. Okay, we'll, we'll right, have the father right. son. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll bring the Pringles. Okay. <laughs> um, I think it's time. Maybe we should take a quick break. Yeah, let's yeah, step out for see. a second. Um, thanks for listening to Full Service Radio. This is Shift Drink. We're joined by Genevieve, and uh, we'll be right back. you're listening to during the break is by artist Keto. That's K-I-E-D-O. For more information, visit us at fullserviceradio.org. We'll be right back. Bye. 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 Bye.
Welcome back. You are listening to Shift Drink. Uh, we have Genevieve Villamora from Bad Saint with us today. Oh, Genevieve, you're refilling our wine glasses. You're such a, oh, out of control. Oh, you can't turn it off. Um, <laughs> before we left, we were, we were talking about fishing. Um, Eddie and I kind of we do a lot of research before our shows. I'm gonna put a lot in quotes because it's not that much, but. Um, we were looking back at the article that you wrote for Bon Appetit, and I realized that was already a year ago. Uh, but what it's like to what is, yeah. be a restaurant owner in D.C. Yeah, I wrote that article ago. so on the fly. Did you really? I super did. Man, it, like it, it read so beautifully. the whole time. <laughs> well, because I, I got the email asking me if I would be interested in writing it, like, a little more than 48 hours before ah, this, no way. Before it ended up going up on the website. No way. And, um, and to add to that, it was literally like 48 hours before I was supposed to leave town to go to San Francisco um, for, Filipino, for this event for Filipino American History Month. So we got invited by the University of San Francisco to be their like, kickoff event for Filipino American History Month because they have a really big Filipino American population there at that um, university. And um, it was our first like out of town gig, like Tom, um, Tom Kunanan, our chef, Nick Pimentel, um, the co-owner of the restaurant, and I were invited out there. And it was our first time like taking our show on the road, like just to talk, yeah, know, like, not to do an event or cook or anything, but just to like be on a panel and like have a chat with people. And so we were really, really excited. So I was already a little kind of amped up getting ready for that. Sure. And you know how it is like leaving town, you kind of have to work overtime just to be away. Yeah, exactly. And then you come back and then you have, to, you're like paying for it. You got to make up for that. Yeah. So I was sort of in that mode. And then I got this email asking me if I would be interested in writing a little something. And, um, you know, it, it kind of came just at this perfect moment because we were really listening to the Kavanaugh hearings a lot at the restaurant um, and everyone was paying attention to it at the time and people would come in to set up for service and it was like all we could talk about. And then I got this email asking me if I would want to write something about it and it wasn't so like pointed. It was more kind of an open-ended invitation like musings reactions like it was it was so open-ended and I I really almost said no because I wasn't sure if I would be able to like get it right but um I just kind of said yes not knowing if I was going to be able to pull it off so just to give context so this yeah this was during the the Kavanaugh hearings which again was already a year ago and just everybody was on edge on edge and emotionally involved because here we have somebody being appointed to one of the highest seats in office that is forever. And there was a lot of questions about his character um, and related to the Me Too movement and just a lot of shady things. Um, and I mean, it, it, it raised, it, it, it was in the middle of this larger discussion of politics and restaurants and whether there is a place for politics and... You know, we there are many, many stories uh, that are flying around D.C. about uh, we have Pizzagate that happened at um, Comet Ping Pong, where they're basically attacked. 
Um, and or just uh, politicians uh, or notable people being approached and heckled in restaurants. And this is just kind of one of those things. Like, how as a restaurant do you cope with all the news that's flying around, and then having people come in that's involved in the news that's coming around, and just like the general state of mind uh, of your employees. Um, and because you're supposed to put on a happy face. And I, I think you addressed it really eloquently. Um, do you think, I mean, it's, it's, it has now been a year. Do you think the climate has changed since you, since you wrote this? Or has anything? Is, I don't think it, I mean, me personally, I don't sure. think it has. I think if anything, it's gotten more intense and like more heated, even if it's um, for various reasons. Um, I think it's, just the nature of this town which is such a political town we're sort of here in the belly of the beast and we're so close to um so many people and decisions that affect not just the city but like people all across this country and all over the world and um i find that you know many of the people that i come into contact with whether they're staff of the restaurant or guests who are eating in the restaurant like these are all issues that people are really fairly well, you know, like, well-informed on mm-hmm. um, whether or not they have a direct stake. So I feel like politics, whether we want, whether we're happy about it or not, is always the background of what's going on in this city. Um, and I think that it's just continued, the intensity of that time of the Kavanaugh hearings, I feel like it's just continued and morphed into other things. Yeah. Um, Oh, we're looking at all the impeachment stuff now. Too. All the impeachment stuff and then, you know, pulling out of Syria. And, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of heavy news out there right yeah. now. And it's hard to not be affected by it. Yeah. Well, but, and we've talked about that this previously on the show, too, but that puts more of an emphasis on, on what we do, which is kind of create a world outside of the world, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a reprieve. Mm-hmm. I mean, I personally, my approach is actually not necessarily to just put on a happy face. Um, and I, I say that to our staff. Like I, I find, um, I mean, in terms of, uh, my philosophy to supervising staff and training staff, I think that a really important part of what we do is being genuine and um, for me, part of being genuine is not necessarily just smoothing over or covering over when we're having a bad day or when there's a lot of bad news in the headlines, but more so just kind of like being real about it, like being really present with it and being honest about it in, in whatever way that ends up manifesting itself. You know, like um, sometimes it just means like, having sort of a quieter uh, way of interacting with guests, like maybe not as uh, zippy and energetic, but still can be warm and hospitable, you know? And I think that very often our guests are there too, you know? Yeah. Even if they're coming in for a break or an escape from what's happening outside, sometimes that moment of empathy where that you can have with a guest where you're both like, Man, there's like a lot of shit going on. I feel like that can be as much an example of hospitality as 
just kind of smoothing things over and like pretending like everything's la-di-da. Right. Because that takes a toll on your employees as well. If yeah. they're If everything's always amazing. And, mm-hmm. um, Eddie and I were talking previously too about, I mean, you are very often the first face that people see when they walk into Bad Saint. Um, and I feel like we were talking, that's kind of been, you've done that in, in previous roles as well. Um, Little Sarah, Big Bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I did not know the Big Bear. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, Big Bear Cafe in Bloomingdale. Yeah. You know, the kitchen manager, right? Early days of yes. Big Bear. Yes. Um, the, the grilled cheese days. Grilled cheese, yep. Yeah. Secret grilled cheese. Yeah. You, you. I mean, for lack of a better term, gatekeeper is kind of what I view, view you as. Uh, you, uh, but you must, I mean, you probably... Nobody likes waiting in line, and you probably see kind of all sides of humanity as that kind of gatekeeper. Do you have any, I mean, I'm sure you see both sides of it, but like, are you, are there, are there any instances where that have just been absolutely ridiculous for you? Um, well, one thing for people to know, dear listeners is that we do now take reservations. <laughs> so fewer people are waiting in line these days than there used to be. So that's one thing. I think anyone in any kind of service industry has seen the gamut of humanity, has seen the whole spectrum of human behavior. But that honestly just doesn't really throw me that much anymore. Yeah. Because I feel like we've all been there. Yeah. I mean, I almost got into a fight with someone in line at the S Organic the other day because I knew I was before him. Yeah. And he thought he was before me. And I was literally like, we stopped in, I, I stopped in there. I jumped out of the car because we were going to a friend's house for dinner. And he asked us, I said we would bring dessert. So I was just running in to like get some gelato and sorbet. And so I'm like, rush, 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 rush. And I grabbed my stuff and I got into line and I know I was there before him because I saw him come around the corner and get into line behind me. And we almost got into a tussle about it. But, you know, it was a good reminder to me because I was just like, I just got into a really ridiculous altercation with a dude in line at the grocery store. Like, I can empathize with someone who's girlfriend is late and didn't get to sit in the first turn because she got caught on the metro you know like we've all been there and I'm sure we all have behavior that we're not proud of yep and (laughs) I can empathize with that you know (laughs) Uh, I I wanted to ask um, switching gears a little bit this past weekend was the Bon Appetit Hot 10 Big party, Gala, up in New York. They've done it every year. You've been, um, the whole Bat Sand crew has been up there. Twice. Yep. Oh, really? Oh, yes, mm-hmm. yes. You go up there once to receive the award, and then the, you're invited we to got cook. A, yeah, we got invited back, I think, like, it was two years mm-hmm. after to be, like, one of the alums that were, was cooking for the party, um, which was really fun, Super too. cool, yeah. yeah. Um, of course, we had big-time FOMO this year. Yeah. <laughs> I believe Maidan was up there this year. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a it's a very particular group that makes makes the list. Uh, and Bad Saint has or um, Bon Appetit definitely has a certain aesthetic as to restaurants that they like. And when I was out in San Francisco and wine country, chill, um, you gave me a great recommendation for places to go there, uh, specifically Neon Bai, mm-hmm. which is 
fucking amazing Cambodian so food in, in Oakland and Fruitvale. Holy shit. Yeah, so um, How does it feel like being in that kind of clubhouse of, mm. I mean, for the most part, it's like I a- Call it what it is. It's a, it's a cool kid club. It, it is. It's a cool kid club. Yeah, you're cool in the cool kid, kid club. Well, I feel like the cool kid club is really another name for the nerdy outcast kids club. It's the same. It's the same. In at saying, least for me. Are you all literate in Greek and Latin? <laughs> no, but I feel like it's. <laughs> of course, I'm biased, and I lead with that. Um, with that, I just want to claim how biased I am, obviously. But what I really appreciate about the Bon Appetit list and is how they decide to use it because they could use it in so many different ways and they could make so many different choices about what restaurants end up being on it. But I feel like over the years, they've really consistently championed small restaurants, independent restaurants, restaurants that are doing something that's maybe a little bit outside the usual thing. And they don't have to use the platform in that way. And um, I think it's a really fantastic statement and I think they've used it in a way increasingly that hires just the range and the diversity of what's happening in American food you know the fact that they're that on that 50 best list is a Somali bakery in like the Boston metro area is amazing super cool you know and like Lao restaurants have been in the top 10 in like two of the past four years it's really super exciting so um yeah, we feel really, really lucky to be part of that sort of uh, community because how it ends up working out is it does really end up being a community. Uh, at least that's how we've experienced it sure. in terms of you know the class of Hot 10 that we were in. We ended up making friends with a lot of people who were in that same group, like Buxton Hall being one of them yeah. and like, some of our crew went down to Buxton Hall last year. Yeah, I was say, and since then. We brought Elliot and his wife Jennifer up to do a pop-up at the restaurant this year. And it's really, it's such a gift to be able to have a group of people who not only understand really the very grueling experience of opening a restaurant, just opening a restaurant, yeah. but who who can offer advice, who can offer support, who are your inspiration. It's, it really is such an amazing, lovely gift to be connected to those kinds of people who we might not otherwise have ever met. And I, and I feel like the, the hot 10 continues to function in that way for people who, um, who are lucky enough to be named in it. Well, and even going back to kind of earlier comments too, when you're, when you're talking about being a person that people could come to for advice, uh, Finding people in that in that same class, you now have people that are doing different things, but you're you're being recognized for the same thing, and you you have other people you can go to that you also respect and, and can ask questions about. And mm-hmm. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, does this so does being named at the in the Bon Appetit kind of hot ten list? Does that I kind of feel, and I think a lot of us felt the same way when the Michelin rankings uh, stars came out is it like a mutually exclusive group where it's like it almost 
you, you, you hit the Bon Appetit list and now you can't be on the mission list. Because it's been said, like, eat, eat, I remember listening to a podcast where like, it was like Eater and the GQ and it was Bon Appetit and they're all together and they're saying, it's like, yes, they do look at each other's like top lists and they try not to do any overlap. And every single publication kind of has their own barometers and parameters and what they like. Um, well, I don't really know anything about the criteria for either. So I don't know. I just don't know what yeah. to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could understand how editorially, even though Michelin, I mean, yeah. Michelin, I mean, at the end of the day, they're selling books. and there's, Yeah, I mean, editorially, it makes sense to not duplicate. But I think there are also so many, like, exceptions to point to. Like, Nyumbai, for example, which was in the Hot Ten. And then also, um, Knight Yun, their chef, was also a food and wine best new chef. Yeah. So, I mean, there often is crossover. Um I think I just, coming at it from the perspective of someone who owns a restaurant and runs a restaurant, I think that's a really different perspective than someone who is making editorial decisions about something. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Well, we should probably start wrapping things up a little bit. Sure. Uh, we have one final little game we like to play with you, a little thing we call Rapid, Rapid Fire. Fire. Oh, boy. Time for the payback. Rapid fire. Um, now you you do a lot of home cooking. I do. What is your most uh, influential cookbook? I'd say in your in your. Uh... Ooh, I have a very extensive cookbook collection. A lot of it is like cookbooks I have never cooked out of, but I just kind of read recreationally for inspiration. Um, I would have to say that I would say it's a tie between uh, two different cookbooks that are from the same authors and like one's like cookbook number one and the other one's number two and then someone totally different. So one of them would be Local Flavors by Deborah Madison. So she's an alum of Chez Panisse and then she went on to um, start, I think it was, was it Greens? Uh, I don't know actually. It was like one of the first um, vegetarian fine dining restaurants in San Francisco. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. yeah. Is that, did I get their name right? Was I think so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so she's an amazing cookbook writer. And I really, really admire her style of writing cookbooks because um, they're so user-friendly, but they're also like so inspired. Like I just love her combinations of things. They're never, so many of her recipes are things I would never put together and they end up being really super delicious. And this one particular book, Local Flavors, I love how it's organized because it starts with the growing season and the way the chapters are organized is it literally starts in like January, February and the recipes are based on how things ripen throughout the season. Super cool. So in the beginning you have like a lot of herbs and a lot of greens and then it kind of moves into the spring vegetables <laughs> and then it's like tomatoes, tomatoes, tomatoes. And then, ah, very cool. Yeah, so I just love how it's organized and, and I just find her a very interesting thinker in terms of how she thinks about food. Like there was another book that she, that she wrote and I'm, the name of it is escaping me right now, but the way she organized it was also so interesting. It was all like botanical families right. of, ve- of fruits wow. and vegetables. And so all the recipes were like, okay, all the crucifers and then everything like in the carrot family. And, and which I just find like you I know don't like know what a crucifer is. <laughs> so it's like a family <laughs> it's of a vegetables. Okay. 
It's the family of vegetables who, when you let them flower, the flowers are in the shape of a cross. Oh, I did not know that like either. Like cauliflower. Oh. Yeah, it's like I think a subset of the brassica family. Huh. Which is like the cabbage family. You love my brassicas. Super fucking cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then the other books that I really love, because they not only look so gorgeous, but are also so easy and fun to cook out of, are um, come from the two women, one of whom is, has now passed away, but the two women who own the River Cafe in London. And I love their book, um, Italian Easy, and then the sequel to it, which is Italian Easy 2, 2 spelled 2-0-0. Nice. And graphic design-wise, they're gorgeous books. I mean, they're really bright colors, and um, every chapter starts with, like, a photo for every recipe. So if you go to the, like, bruschetta chapter... Which, that's, like, the, the photo is important to me, because, like, yeah. I'm a visual person. Like, oh, Yeah. yeah. And it's such a great way of being like, am I going to want to cook these <laughs> Yeah, things? exactly. It, like, shows you how yummy they look. And then, of course, you want to cook them. But, like, the, the opening page of every chapter is every recipe in a photo. Right on. And it's like a double, it's like a double spread photo of all the recipes in the chapter. And there's, like, hardly any recipe has more than, like, five to seven ingredients. And it's just really super easy to cook out of. Beauty and simplicity. So when is a Batsy cookbook coming out? <laughs> <laughs> Rapid fire. Well, if I can ever stop navel-gazing enough to come up with an idea of like an... Or- Nick's a graphic designer. I need designer. a good organizing <laughs> principle, you know? Because mm-hmm. I feel like... That sounds very generous. I love cookbooks so much <laughs> that I would just be really annoyed with myself if we just put out just another cookbook that was like chicken adobo like this and that like here's a recipe for quick dinner on a Friday night like I I just I don't want to waste anybody's time I just want to say something that's I want us to say something that's worth saying and that's like consequential and not not just Tom modeling on the cover yeah (laughs) I'd be happy to have Tom modeling on the cover I think everyone would be happy with that Tom has his poses down there definitely needs to be a spread (laughs) somewhere expert Tom on the cover of the cookbook in a pair of jeggings. Basically, (laughs) like, we already know that that's going to be the cover photo. Um, It's just what, you know, in between, in between the ends of the the cover, in between the covers is what we're trying to figure out. What was your, now we we already talked about your little road trip um, to the the Latin competition. Uh, (laughs) Did you have a a guilty, or did you have a, uh, what was your first, like, beverage, your adult beverage that you would drink as a teenager? Or maybe sneak. Well, in keeping with my true nerd nature, I never had alcohol when I was technically a teenager. Uh, I knew it. (laughs) I knew it. Yeah, come on. She's a nerd. What kind of a nerd would I be if I actually drank in high school? Um, I didn't drink until I was like 19 or 20. Yeah, my first nerd beverage was like, my first alcoholic beverage was really shitty beer. Nice. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, you know what? That's not true. Because I drank alcohol the night of my high school prom. There we go. I do remember. I was looking for that one. It was a Bonnie Dune rosé, and I drank it in the bathtub of a hotel. It was still skin contact. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm so happy that I remembered that. And one final rapid fire question. Oh, okay. Well, because we've bonded over galettes, uh, sweet or savory galette? 
Savory. Savory. Tomato? No. Definitely something with cheese. Oh, okay. All right, fine. Well, ask your final question. Okay, All what right. is your... <laughs> Genevieve, Eddie. what is your deathbed meal? I think my deathbed meal would be a Garden District cheeseburger and a oh, Rattler. Oh, my God. I should have guessed that. That's obvious. Uh, Garden District on 14th Street has an amazing... Uh, they fall in the category of, like, smash patty. Yeah. 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 Uh, they're, they're, it's one of my favorite burgers. Yeah. Double smash patty. They do a great job. You know what one of my favorite burgers is that is no more? Or actually, I haven't been there in the new incarnation, but... The original passenger cheeseburger. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I thought you were about to say the Polina burger. Oh, no. I once, I can't remember if I was pregnant at the time or not. There was a time when I was um, still working at Comey and I was already pregnant. And um, I met my husband at the passenger. And I was so hungry because I'd gotten, I was like early out from service. And I hightailed it over to the passenger. And I was mid-cheeseburger when I ordered my second one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the server was really confused. She was like, you're holding one right now. And I was like, I know, uh, I need another one. I have so much respect for that. <laughs> Genevieve, thank you so much for, thank for you. joining my Thanks studio for today. Having it's me. been really fun having you in. Um, listeners, you can revisit this week's episode or previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you grab your podcasts. Uh, I, before the show, ran into TJ Lewis, one of our biggest fans and continued listeners. Uh, who uh, actually gave us a rating on iTunes. Yeah, so do that, or you can give us one star on Yelp, which (laughs) I think we need to repost the Yelp thing, because people are still doing it. Or just email us. It's hard to find. Let us know what we can talk about, or any guests that we should have on. Um, We could always use some advice, as Genevieve always gives us, (laughs) whenever we're in in need. A special thank you to Jeffrey Lemero for our intro music, and DJ Rectech for our hilarious sound effects. Um, Next week... AOC. She's coming back. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about all the things, uh, her new favorite cocktail, what's going on in the beverage world, and her endorsement of uh, Bernie. Bernie. Yeah, we, we find out what Bernie likes to drink. Um, Genevieve, Bad Saint, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right, until next week. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C., Full-service radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full-service radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at Full Service RDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.